Hello, everyone, and welcome to another interview for the Fight Site. Once again, this is Ben Cohn. Joining me today, we have James Speedy Gonzalez. Love the nickname, by the way. Um, how you doing, first of all? I'm doing good, doing good. I uh, can't complain. Um, just looking forward to get back to normal. <laughs> I feel like we're all at that point <laughs> right now. <laughs> just just wait, hoping and praying that the summer returns to some normalcy, right? Um, before we jump into it, the first thing I want to tell everyone is make sure that you go and check out thefightsite.com. Treat it to a plethora of phenomenal articles, fantastic uh, breakdowns, the analysts, the writers, it's all top-notch. Trust me, you will love it. Uh, make sure you check us out on the Fight Site at Patreon. You could support us directly. Uh, there are different tiers. You get access to the Discord channel where you could talk to other like-minded fans and us as well. Uh, you get access to specific podcasts that are not available to the public, special interviews. Uh, you can even do scouting for you. There's tons of extra content there. Definitely sign up and support us at the Patreon. Make sure that you subscribe to us on YouTube, like, comment on the videos. It always helps us share it with your friends and definitely give us a, a, a five-star rating on Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Uh, all right, with that out of the way, once again, we're joined with James Speedy Gonzalez, who is a Matt Sarah, uh, Sarah Longo uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Uh, currently, you are, I believe, six and three in mixed martial arts as a pro. You have a, a more extensive amateur background than a lot of other fighters, and you also are the current CFFC featherweight champion. If I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, sir. Uh, first off, I urge everyone who has fight pass to go check out your last fight, where you hit. Uh, I guess we could call it the mirror lock. I'm not sure yeah, if that's yeah. the official name. Uh, he he hit it for real. He. Uh, and you also messed up the guy's arm, similar to what Mir did with Pete Williams. That was um, awesome. <laughs> Not that bad. I feel bad for him, but that was incredible. Well, uh, it was the best case uh, situation injury for him. Um, I heard from the the president of CB, uh, CFFC that uh, he just had a dislocated shoulder and elbow. There was no tears in tendons. There's no breaking of the bone. So. Like, that was, like, the best of a worst-case scenario for him. So I I'm happy that it wasn't as bad as uh, we initially thought. And uh, I'm sure he's uh, – I saw that he's already hitting pads and back to training. So happy to hear that for him. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Definitely – the sport's hard enough as is, hopefully. I'm glad yeah, it looked pretty past. gnarly as it was oh. happening. Sure. I, I was watching you do it, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. That's not – arms don't bend that way. That yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, okay, so let's let's start from the beginning. How did you get involved in martial arts? Was it something you've been doing your entire life? Something you got into a little bit later? Tell us about your story. Um, well, my my first exposure to um, uh, any kind of MMA fighting was uh, I saw actually WEC first. Uh, I think I was like 15 at the time, and I was watching Versus on uh, I think the uh, I think it was on Versus Network or Fight Network. Yep. or something and they Versus. had the WEC championships and my first fight I saw was um Benson Henderson versus Donald Cerrone and like uh that that was a great uh they had some great fights together and, and like that really got me into it and then um I decided on like my 20th birthday I was gonna start training jiu-jitsu um I, I I went to uh Matt Sauer's gym in Huntington and uh, I was like this is what I want to do and I, I just stuck with it um, initially, my journey was just jujitsu. Um, for the first four years, I was really just focusing on like grappling tournaments and everything like that. Um, but then, like, I really started getting um, comfortable, you know, because I was training pretty much full time. I started doing some striking and everything, and I was like, "Oh man, I really want to go shoot for this MMA career." Because you know, since I was younger, that was initially what sparked my interest was the MMA but um I'm happy I got sucked into the jiu-jitsu at first because it gave me the comfortability in the cage that I get to use uh throughout my pro and amateur career of jiu-jitsu you know like it's it's uh it's really good to know that if the fight ever goes to the ground or if someone ever grabs me I can handle myself there so I I, I owe a lot to jiu-jitsu for that and then um, uh, once I started fighting, I, I got it, you know, I got addicted to it. Um, uh, I had eight, yeah, eight amateur fights. Um, I, I won 
two titles, no, three titles, uh, amateur. And then um, uh, I got a short notice call for a ring of combat fight. And um, I lost my first fight. I uh, got my ass kicked pretty good. But um, um, after that, I went on a four-fight win streak, and uh, I, I fought for titles before this against some of the top guys in uh, in the Northeast region, like Mike Trezano and Bill Algio. And these guys are on the bigger side of the 145-pound division. So I've, I've always had tough fights. And then, you know, with, with the lining up of the stars, I, I was just ready and on it for uh, to, to make weight pretty quickly for this past CFFC thing. And I, I was able to just show up and perform for that. So from just having a little thought of it when I was 15 to really committing to training when I was 20, I just stayed on the path and I haven't veered off of it. That's awesome. Uh, while we're on the topic of, of your, your, you know, who have you fought, uh, for those who don't know, Mike Trezano is currently in the UFC. Uh, Levy's also, he just had his first loss, but he was 10-0 or something like that. Yeah. He beat uh, Violent Bob Ross pretty mm-hmm. pretty handily. So he's, you know, you, you those guys you fought are no joke. And like you said, it's a he's a bit on the bigger side of featherweight. And to that point... The next fight after your your, your the fight with uh, Algio, I, I I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, uh, you dropped to bantamweight, actually. Yes. Yes. So. so um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. So basically, what happened was um, I was actually supposed to fight for Bellator um, mm-hmm. uh, in New York, but the fight got scrapped. Uh, I got staph infection really bad, and I had a fever, and I didn't make weight for the fight. And um, uh, I, I kind of felt like really crappy about that. And uh, I, I uh, was like, you know, I know I can make 145 very easily. And, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, this guy had opportunity and he didn't make weight, whatever this, that. And I wanted to just make a point because I know that, you know, I, I'm not the leanest guy at 45, but I was like, you know, I'm going to put the hard work in. I'm going to make 135. I'm going to make a point. There's no way that I cannot make 145 that was just because i was sick and um i performed really well i got a tko stoppage of um you know a a high level rising contender in the 135 pound division at uh at cffc and i showed that i can make the weight and perform at that weight and then um basically right now um what i want to do as just to keep my options open and have more opportunities is i'll take short notice fights at 145 and I would like to, you know, compete at 135. But if there's an opportunity, like either for big money or for like a very well-known organization like the UFC or Pride or or even Bellator again, I'll fight at 145 short notice because I can make that weight very easily. And um, if they want to give me an opportunity to show and, and fight guys closer to my size or the weight class that I want to commit to, like 135, I, I can do that with a full camp. So, um, uh, yeah, that's that's what is going on for that. How do you feel in the comparison between 135 and 145? Because, like you said, you're definitely smaller at 145. Mm-hmm. Like, visibly, you were, like, when I was watching, I was, able, I was able to find some footage on Facebook. Someone took with their phone, it looked like, of the Trezano yeah, it's, fight. It's, it's yes. hard to find those videos. <laughs> like, exactly. I was, like, Googling, I, I think, I'm like, where the... Um, I think the website that owned a lot of the first fights, I think they went under. So a lot of like my first few fights, I, I unless you know the people who own the the Fight Network thing that they had, I don't know how to get in, uh, get those fights to watch. But um, yeah, those, the, I was on the smaller side, forty five, but it was just a weight that because uh, I fought at fifty five before when I was amateur, and I was really on the small side of 55 so i was like i'm going down to 45 and you know i have teammates you know like aljo and marab you know a a lot of my teammates are 135 and i saw like with their worth work ethic they can make that weight and i really just adapted myself to like okay like you just got to work really hard and put in those extra hours and you can get to the weight and not be at such a size uh disadvantage because you know this is this is what i want to do for a living this is my career my dream i want to you know give myself the best chance at making it now so like you know uh, like i was saying before if i have to take a 45 fight if it's a good opportunity i will but i do want to stick to 135 
speaking of guys like my Robin Aljo, who are your training partners, what what is it like being the up and comer in that in that room? Because you're like you said, we've got Aljo who potentially is fighting for that title, the vacant title. He better, he, he better, better be fighting right. for it. <laughs> we got we got um we, we spoke with um EFT Elevation Fight Team's coach, and he was talking about Sam Hagen, and they were supposed to be booked, but now that Cejudo decided to retire, they're not really sure what to do at the top. So yeah. it's kind of a big cluster at the moment, but. Um, yeah, like we're you. It's it's kind of like there's a really good chance that he gets that title shot, and he would earn he he has earned that too. There's no argument from anyone, I think. Sure. But what's it like being? You know, I spoke with Marab, and also another high level bantamweight. And you're like you said, you're around that same size. What is it like being in the room with them, and how does it influence your training and style? Because you said you're motivated from them. So give us a little bit more insight in being the guy who's right. trying to get to that level. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, it's great working with them. Uh, Marab, really, he teaches you that you can dig deep. There's a never-ending, you know, gold mine of energy. If you just believe you can, you know, keep digging, you'll have – he's a machine. We call him the machine at the gym. And, and seeing his worth ethic, you know, and just his cardio and how hard he trains – you know, that pushes me to strive for that same, you know, capability. You know, I, I want to be able to do that. Like when I get when I feel tired, I'm like, oh, this is nothing compared to what my teammate does. So, you know, it definitely keeps my head on straight and makes me focus on pushing past that wall that a lot of people hit when they get tired um, with Aljo. Just he's always working on his technique. You know, he's an athlete in his own right, you know, conditioning just as much as anyone else at the gym. But this guy's just always working on drilling. Even when, even after a workout, even when he's done after he's sparring, he, he's, he's either working like kicks, he's working his striking combinations, he's doing calisthenics. And um, it, it's just a great atmosphere to see how everyone's working on their own craft and, and when you can see all these different patterns of how people are, are doing their workouts, you, you can really just quite easily figure out a way to make it um, mold towards yourself to what you know where you need to work on. So I think that really gave me a big boost because initially when I first started fighting, I was just a jujitsu guy. I didn't, you know, I didn't start taking, you know, striking lessons up until maybe like where I was like had a striking coach maybe a year ago I started working with Eric Heyer where it's like one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. outside of like just taking classes throughout the school and man taking the striking classes really just builds your confidence you know like just keeping your eyes up not not wasting any you know extra movements or energy you know throwing heavy punches you know actually being able to see techniques and implement my own techniques while I'm fighting so um yeah, just just watching how they were doing it and and um, uh, just progressing themselves. It even with Chris, when Chris, I, I remember before Chris won the championship. You know, I really looked up to Chris because I, I, you know, like he he was a great wrestler in school, but you know he was living in a basement with his fiance and under his parents' house, and he really came from you know just you know. Uh, like a middle-class family and really made a name for himself. And he proved to me that, you know, if you work hard and put the time into it, you can change your life. And, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta give him a shout out for just paving the way. And, and then the rest of the guys just coming through and doing the same thing. So there's no shortage of uh, learning and, um, and like appreciating the skill levels that are at the gym. It's really, um, it's, it's, well, of course, like you said, you got to like Weidman paid paved the way for the Sarah Longo guys, yeah, and then we got a whole generation. Oh yeah, there's a whole new generation, and who can forget the iconic punch <laughs> a hole through his effing chest? Yeah, so, like that. That <laughs> is like great. oh, there. That's it. Sarah Longo is a thing now. Automatically, without like everyone knows who Sarah Longo is now, mm -hmm. and you know you guys keep churning out high level fighters. The bottom line is that we see that. And of course, you've got guys like Jason Rowell there as well. And it, it's yeah, yeah. just, it's a really good team. Uh, my question also is like, we look at the different fighters that come out of their, you know, Marab, Sterling, uh, Matt Favola, uh, 
Chris Weidman, Ally Quinta, you guys are all they're like not, none of them have really similar styles, like, especially because they're all from different backgrounds. You have Marab from the Judo Sambo, and mm-hmm. Sterling and Weidman are both wrestlers. Ally Quinta also wrestles, and you're a jujitsu guy, and Favola, but like your striking styles never really like it, there's certain similarities, but for the most part, you seem to all kind of go different routes. Is that something that is encouraged that's there long ago? Like, do what you're comfortable with and then we'll work from it there? Or is, do they give you at least, like, a, a mold and then after you're good enough to break out of it, you do? From what I've noticed, it's let's make what you're good at better. You know, we'll okay. fit, like, um, from what, um, at least with what I've seen with Ray, like, he'll watch how people work and then he'll kind of figure something out to match their body's type and, and their style already. Like, if there's something really wrong, he's going to fix that. But, like, he he always, he kind of adapts his, uh, his teaching to that specific individual. Because, like, I've seen him do puke drills with... Uh, we got another up-and-comer, Dennis Bazooka. He's a monster. I don't know if you've heard of him yet, but uh, he's going to be crashing on the scene too. Um, um, but uh, he, I've seen him do puke drills with all the fighters there, and it's never the same thing for each guy. Like He knows that some guys have better dexterity in their hips. Maybe some guys are more wrestling-focused or shorter or taller, and he really like finds a way to incorporate a, different techniques to work with everyone's specific body type and their style um and uh he he's a great coach and um uh, then we got eric Heyer, who really you know he he's fun to work with he's really he works really fast and like he'll get you to work on specific combinations that you know that you can actually use because i know some there's some guys who will do like that pad work where they'll it it looks fancy and nice on Mm -hmm. camera but then when you try and implement it in an actual match or sparring or even in a fight, it's not going to be like that. So um, they're, they're really good at figuring out that like um, that like leveling point with each of the fighters that they work with. So let's ask, let me ask you, what kind of style do you feel that you're gravitating to? Do you feel you're more going to be like, do you feel that you're more gearing towards being, I guess, a, a proficient pressure fighter like Chris Weidman was? Uh, a counter puncher with big power punches like Al, you know, Al Jermaine and Marab, who have this very high volume, aggressive kickboxing. What kind of style do you think, uh, or your own thing? What are, what are you really gearing toward? Well, I wanna, I wanna be the guy. Well, because you know, I don't want to like sound like I'm gloating or anything, but because my Gloats. jujitsu is so good, um, I really wanna work on turning guys into wrestlers like i don't want to you know be the guy who's always shooting trying to get the fight to the ground i want to do what nate diaz does where he just walks guys down and beats them up until they want to get a hold of him and then the takedown's easy or or let's turn it into a grappling match you know so Mm -hmm. I, I, I really have been working on my hands and, and um, just my stand-up striking to where I can beat up a guy and kind of force him into my game instead of chase a guy and force him into my game. So I, 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 um, I, I want to be more of a like a forward-moving pressure fighter, and then that will just lead me into cornering off guys, and then if I want to take the guy down i can but um it, it's nice having that comfortability on the ground because you can really commit to throwing your punches without having to worry about oh if i throw this hot head kick maybe he takes me down take me down i want to be there anyway so that that's what i'm trying to implement into my game right now is just forward pressure striking and turning the guy into a wrestler are there any guys that you you do study a lot, not necessarily even at your gym, obviously. Mm-hmm. A lot of fighters watch fighters or are mm-hmm. actual fans of the sport. Some fighters aren't. Are there guys who you look at and go, that's a person who, that pressure game I want, like a guy like RDA, for example, famous mm-hmm. pressure fighter coming out of Cordero. Or mm-hmm. is there are, are there people like you just like, I study the hell out of those guys? Um... Like there, there's oh like I would say more I have just like favorite fighters opposed sure. to guys I wanna actually emulate. Um, like you know besides my teammates, like I I more get inspiration for them of more opposed than I wanna you know absorb their 
uh, fighting style. So like their worth ethic and then stuff like that. And then I want to mold my own fighting style. Right. Because as soon as you start trying to do what other people do, it, it kind of takes away from you learning how to do what you do, what you're capable of doing with your own body. And I, I, I see that sometimes uh, it, it takes away from fighters. Not that it's not a good thing for some people, just in my case, um, uh, it doesn't always work for me that way. I, I, I'm more of a like a hands-on learner and like try it and then figure it out opposed to there. Um, but um, besides that, I just I just get pumped watching fights. Like I, like maybe I'll see something in a fight and I'll be like, oh, I'll, I'll try that. But it's not so much. Oh, I see this fighter. I want to emulate him. It's more of oh, I saw that technique. Let's let me see if I can implement that particular technique into my you know my armory of stuff opposed to oh let me be more like this guy okay uh that makes perfect sense to me uh it's more just like be your own fighter but you could pull from the people you're watching and that way you can better your own game while also keeping yourself in that game as well um with that i kind of want to pivot to your jujitsu because we've spoken about your 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 development in striking but your jiu-jitsu is, is, first of all, I love the way you change submissions. So uh, I want to talk about that. How did you, you, you know, it makes sense. Actually, you say you want to be an aggressive come forward style. I don't think anybody could watch you compete in a jiu-jitsu and say he's not an aggressive <laughs> submission-oriented chain, chain submission guy. How, how did you become, because I, I train at Marcelo's. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not a chain submission guy. <laughs> I'm very much a. I'm gonna pressure pass and just try and grind on you. Uh, but what made you gravitate to that? Is that really just your personality, where you just want to just go, 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 attack, attack, attack? Well, it kind of turned into that uh, initially. I think jujitsu was um, a great learning tool for me how to deal with uh I- i'm claustrophobic mm-hmm. um i don't like being held down in a sp- in like a position like like if i'm trapped underneath something i'm gonna do whatever i can to get out from underneath that it's and it's not even me like like now i have a better way of dealing with it with, in a more calm and technical manner but um just instinctively like that's how I got really good at, you know, that constant attack pressure movement, because if there's no movement and no attack, then I'm stuck and I don't like being stuck. So it's just like my instincts come in and like initially, like back when I started, jujitsu really wasn't like the coolest thing, you know, um, <laughs> a lot of people were making fun of jujitsu guys when I first started. I I'll admit it. that when I, I first started, I've gotten into a couple of YouTube comments, things <laughs> defending jujitsu from, from people when I first started, but I'm, uh, yeah. So, um, I was usually the smaller guy, uh, at class because most of the people who did train when I first started were either bigger than me or, you know, a lot smaller than me. So, um, you know, I was always put in bad positions. And I think because I was always in bad positions when I first started, I got a lot of experience dealing with them constantly by bigger, stronger, faster, more technical guys. And I just got comfortable in the chaos, you know? So, when um if, when you've seen me compete jujitsu tournaments like i hate staying still i like just trying to go in there if i can finish fast i'll finish fast if i can just you know out technique a guy i love especially since they're recording it i love putting it on video because then <laughs> not so much for the world to see but more so hey you can do that james you have to practice that you know because sometimes when you're training especially if you know, you you know, you don't always have a camera on. You you can't exactly see how you do stuff, so you gotta kind of commit it to memory. But when you're competing at a tournament, especially at like a combat jujitsu or or EBI, that shit's on the internet. You, you're gonna be able to see that and practice that. So I try and take advantage of those uh, opportunities when I'm on camera to really just go for broke and go for everything. But um, um 
Yeah, leg work drills, man. They're the best. I don't know if uh, you say you train at Marcelo's, but yeah. like on your back, you get that knee shield, you throw the leg over, and you just keep working back and forth, switching your legs from that inverted position. And and that's initially how I really got good at uh, you know attacking from everywhere. It was just doing leg work drills. Well, that 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 game is actually my kryptonite. So I'm just there's just a lot of there's <laughs> just some PTSD coming through right now. It's okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm like the most like stereotypical like <laughs> like my guys, uh, my instructors are Marcelo Bernardo. It's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. all I got, you know. Not pressure passes. Exactly. Well, I hear you. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, speaking of your 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 style, you you know you you come from that Sarah Longo style. A lot of guys there are fantastic at, at leg locks too, and mm -hmm. uh, watched you work and. Uh, I was watching specifically. Uh, you you were attacking constantly the legs of Tyson Griffin when you were mm -hmm. up against him, and that was combat BJJ, which I want to touch on actually a little bit more. I'm curious about your thoughts of that versus something like EBI and more traditional uh, jiu-jitsu tournaments. But uh, your leg lock game is very well developed, and is that something that's just so heavily focused on? Because I actually visited uh, one of the Sarah Longo. Uh, Long I don't know which one. I know you have two yeah. locations. Um, Elias Theodoro, I he came to visit. Mm -hmm. I, I meant to meet him to give him some beef jerky. I made yeah. him sell beef jerky. Uh, <laughs> okay. So Jason Rao was teaching the class, and it was leg lock oriented, and a lot of guys were throwing leg lock attacks at me. So I'm curious, is that just something that's really just super heavily emphasized there, and that's why you're so proficient at them, or is it something you like? Um, I, I, I'll admit I'm not the best leg locker. Um, uh, compared me. to some of the guys at the gym, <laughs> you fooled um, me. Uh, I understand the positions, but yeah, I'm, uh, especially with the jujitsu competition scene right now, Jason is a monster. Um, but even just besides that, I know he's like a wizard with leg locks at the moment right now, but all the techniques besides leg locks that he, he incorporates and, and like, uh, combines them with. He he's just always showing great stuff, and um, you know, he, he uh, I I owe him a lot in particular for being like, cause me and him, uh, he started I think six months before me, and I I started training with him regularly about two years into um, um, training at Academy, and he was training at the East Meadow before it turned into the Levittown Academy. And then once Levittown Academy came, we just, you know, became best friends and we started training full time. Um, it, it's, uh, I think the leg lock game is just something that, you know, as the sport evolved, that came with it. So you're, you're definitely exposed to it more. Um, I just had a lot more opportunities in that particular match to, uh, you know, get to those positions with Griffin. Um, but he he was a little oiled up uh, before that that match. Like they, they had like a masseuse there that was like massaging everybody. I'm like, wait, we're we're getting massages with oils right now. This is <laughs> but um, um all the all the best. You can't blame. But no, um the the leg lock game is great because you know if you can get to the position, if a guy has really good top pressure or he's like really heavy, you can really just kind of negate all that you know, like that heavy top pressure stuff, if you can trap his leg, because then basically all his weight is, it means nothing. And then, you know, it's, it doesn't take a lot to get a submission from there. It doesn't take a lot of energy. So um, I'll incorporate it into my game if I see it, but um, I'm not like super, super knowledgeable like he is uh, with, with leg locks. Um, is he you're one of your main training partners slash, he's one of your main training partners. Yeah, that's that's awesome. He's, he was a great guy when I met, like, I, was, I met mm -hmm. him briefly, but seemed like an awesome dude. Um, well, now that we're on the topic of jujitsu, uh, combat jujitsu, you, you've done them. Uh, what are your thoughts overall about that? Because I actually have some. I know that part of the rule sets were kind of taken. Also, they they have the overtime situation just like they do with EBI. Mm -hmm. Do you like combat jujitsu compared to traditional jujitsu tournaments, or even more of the newer ones like EBI? Do you, is it something you're like, I did it, not really my thing, I'd rather do an MMA fight if I'm going to be able to slap somebody, like, what's your thoughts on it? I, I can't wait till that next lightweight combat jiu-jitsu tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I like, I actually, um, 
like the I I don't think the EBI is like around anymore. I think he just took he just went away from EBI and went straight just combat jujitsu because it's you know it's 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 very original in its own sense. So I it, you're still getting jujitsu. You're just getting jujitsu with guys slapping the hell out of each other. You know, um, I. I think that after the last time they were talking about adding up kicks, you know, because there was a there was an issue with guys just standing over guys and slapping them and not mm-hmm. engaging. So like if you add the up kicks, they can't just stand over you. They they have to like initiate with you to keep the kicks from coming. But I don't know if they're doing that. I wouldn't mind, honestly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like the combat jujitsu because, you know, there are times where you're, especially when you're competitively rolling and maybe a guy's giving you a good, like grinding frame or something. And you're like, okay, like, you know, you, you know, slap them a little bit and it's fun, you know, like, um, I, I think it's like a cool way of doing jujitsu because there, there is less stalling to be honest. Like there's, there's not as much, unless Unless the two guys are just standing up and not engaging, you know, it's a separate story. But guys are more willing to, like, jump in guys' guards if they know they can slap them. And, you know, and, and, you know, also, some guys aren't used to that. So they can be black belts, but maybe one slap turns them into a brown belt or whatever like that, too. So I I think it's a good balance and it's fun. I'm I'm looking for it. I've talked to Eddie before. Um, and I was like, hey, man, next 155-pound tournament you're doing, get me on it because I love that shit. It's the best. That's awesome. Uh, and speaking of combat jiu-jitsu, well, well, I want to actually jump into that over time because, again, like you said, it's the you take you start on the back and or or the armbar mm-hmm. position. I think they call it the – what was it? The spider – I don't know what they're called. Yeah, it's spider web. Spider web. spider web, yeah. So my question is what's the logic behind – picking one or the other because when i was watching your matches you picked usually most people pick the back but i saw you pick the arm bar is it is there a specific reason or maybe i'm not fully thorough on the rules i know that it's based on time controlled yeah and yeah so so um initially when i first started uh when they first started incorporating those rules into some of the other local tournaments and stuff like that and even there um i didn't care about how long I had position for. I just want to submit a guy. So the first time I did the EBI, (laughs) I just went for the arm bar position each time. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and just hold your back and ride you out. Like that's, it's kind of dumb to me a little bit. The, you know, the ride time. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it does make sense. Like if you guys aren't submitting each other, you know, okay. But I don't know, like, I've seen matches where guys will ride each other because uh, I think you get three minutes, you yeah. know, before you switch position. So he gets three minutes, three tries. So that's nine minutes for him and nine minutes for him. So that's 18 minutes of you could have just added another 10 minutes to the match and did it in half the time, and it's not starting from a position that the guy didn't earn. So I don't think it's really time-saving at all, because I, I think that's initially why they did it. But it's an extra 18 minutes to a match. That's that's an extra two 10-minute matches where these guys are not giving up. Because, you know, like especially at the higher level, when, when you start in a position that is like completely locked in and you have full control like handed over to your opponent from that dominant position. It's not the same as maybe if a guy was exerting a ton of energy to get to that position and things aren't as tight and, you know, you can work from it. It's kind of like, like, I know they say it's like a 50, 50, it's kind of like a 90, 10%, you know, you're like 90%, you're either going to get finished or you're going to get held there or, and 10% you escape. So I don't, I don't really like that whole rules, like, especially with the time it takes between guys, if they go to the full overtime, you know, rule set, Mm -hmm. it's an extra 18 minutes. Just let the guys do another 10 minute match and save time, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, maybe just start them on their knees opposed to standing up, you know? So they, so guys don't have time to run around. Just, just have them in combat stance, one knee on the ground with clinch position and then work from there. But um, yeah, cause like this happened with uh, my teammate, Raging Ally Quinta, he he was fighting Mike Perry, 
And he took him down like three or four times and was just controlling him for a, a bunch of the match. But then when it came to overtime rules, you know, he the the other guy, Perry, won by the overtime rules of right. actually finishing him or whatever. So you can see like how it doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess it's just the way... Because, you know, with the, you know how, like, the Brazilians, you know, with the points and advantages, they just didn't want to deal with that, you know? <laughs> so um, I, I feel what it does is also it kind of takes away from the match because you have guys that will just, you know, play, like, coffin, you know, vampire and not go for anything, wait till the 10 minutes is up. And then once they get to their position, they hold on for dear life and then... They can win that way too, but um, no, my sensei Matt, he he hates those overtime rules. <laughs> He's like, just just start, just start, just have another match, you know. I'm trying to picture someone telling, having to be told, oh yeah, here Marcelo's gonna start in full back mount. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture like that guy's like, what the fuck did you just say to me? Yeah, yeah, I know, right? It's kind of it's when you put it that way, I actually really agree. Like, or you could even just like say like, okay. Just literally, you do one, let's say one three minute thing fast, like you can escape. just do a sudden death. Whoever escapes faster, done. Like, and then at least you have some finality yeah. instead yeah. of 18 more minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but it. yeah, like the, the only thing that's, that's, that I think really, like just me personally, without including everyone else's opinions, sure. is just like when you start someone in that like fully locked, committed position. It's completely different as if someone maybe did a sweep or or transition to someone's back because there's no momentum. You're just completely locked in place. And, you know, like I, I like there's guys that instantly as soon as they start, they lock that body triangle right uh -huh. away before the guy can even move. And like there's nowhere he's not going nowhere because you're completely behind him. So it, it, it has its its faults. But, you know, it's what we got right now. Absolutely. Uh, from the, I mean, uh, you've we've thoroughly covered your style, your plan. What are your plans? Assuming things kind of like normalize, um, are you right now? I don't know how CSFC works. If it's a fight by fight contract, what are your plans going forward? Assuming things normalize and fights start happening again. Well, um, I'm hoping to uh, be the first double champ for CFFC, I want to go down and, and fight for that 135 pound belt. Uh, that's what, uh, I talked to the, uh, Robert Haydack. He's the president of CFFC after my fight. Cause I did come through short notice for that last fight, six days. They had like maybe three or four guys pull out of fights, like right before to fight this guy. This is the number one guy in the Northeast region at the time, you know? And um, um, they were having hard times finding fights and he was supposed to go to the UFC and everything. So like he told me, hey man, whatever you want to do is what we'll do for you. So I'm like, hey, I want to fight for that 35 pound belt. And if I get the opportunity to fight for the UFC, you guys will, you know, release me and let me uh you know fight there so i think of as of right now i have a a, a two fight contract with cffc but i have that release for if mm -hmm. i have opportunity to get in the ufc which i wouldn't mind getting on that contender series this summer if if they if that's back to normal by then like that'd be great or or um i want to fight for that 135 pound belt and uh if, if i win that belt and the ufc doesn't come calling yet then i'd be happy to defend the 45 pound belt after that awesome uh well fights happened last night want to talk about yes. it? <laughs> my first question is and this is gonna be this might drive a longer discussion but uh, i'm sure you saw I don't know if, you, if you're active on Twitter during the fights or whatever it is, but considering what I do, I, I'm pretty active on Twitter and my personal feelings on this as well. Yes. Uh, that, that, that main event. Yeah. Uh, that was, aside from being just really hard to watch, uh, that kind of beating, uh, personally for me, the third round, I think, shouldn't, the fourth round just shouldn't have happened. That's mm -hmm. my personal opinion. I'm curious what your thoughts on it, especially as a fighter, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I think it came out now with a broken orbital, broken nose, two missing teeth, for sure concussed pretty yeah. badly, I imagine. Uh, he didn't seem to really be able to defend himself after that. And we know Anthony Smith's not quitting. Yeah. So 
what what were your thoughts watching that? How did you feel as both a fighter and a fan? Do you think it should have been stopped earlier than it was? If yes, how early? How much earlier? Uh, um, I look. First off, I want to say is if this isn't even for a title, and they're letting that happen, my heart goes out to Dominic Cruz because he only had <laughs> two seconds to go for that to the next round, and he was getting up. <laughs> and that ref stopped that fight. I'm like, bro, this guy's been out for two and a half years. Two and a half years. He's fighting for a title. You know, like, are we not? Like, there, there is a point where, as a, being a fighter is, you know the risk you're taking. You know, yeah. like, you, you, and also, when you're putting yourself on the line like that, you know, you have to be safe, but also don't take it from me. My like, like I worked so hard to get here. Let me get my ass beat and, and let me lose decisively opposed to, you know, there's two, two seconds left. Like that must've been just Gutting. terrible for yeah. Dominic Cruz, especially against Henry Cejudo with all his cringy bullshit and, all the shit he was talking and the silliness he was doing. But um, I think that fight should have ended when um, Glover Teixeira first put him down. So like that first, when he Knocked first down. put him down ag- across the cage, I think that if Glover, instead of started trying to go to choke him, maybe he could have hit him. But I'm like, compared to the Dominic Cruz fight, that fight should have been over from the first knockdown because he did hit him like I think twelve times, not as fast and like like that it's like heavyweight was going on Cruz, but like he he was like not in there, and then like he never recovered from that. He was just on autopilot for the rest of that fight, and um, you know Anthony Smith, I, I love his style of fighting, um, and. Uh, I think this is one of the one fights for, like, there being no audience. It was a little harder to swallow because you can really hear the the shots being inflicted. Like, like you can hear, like, the, the grunts, the, the pain as the stuff was happening, opposed to when you're usually watching fights, the crowd and the, the announcers, you know, they kind of drown that out. You know, you might hear, like, a good, you know, you know, body kick when the foot slaps against the belly, but you're not hearing hammer fist land. And there was a lot of hammer fist landing that um, I think should have been stopped. But, you know, I guess there's a point where you got to know when to quit, but I, I definitely like understand why Smith didn't want to, because, you know, he's fought the best guys in the world, you know, like he's, he's no slouch, you know, he, he, he belongs in there with everyone. But, um, um, this was a time where the ref should have got in sooner or his corner should have been like, especially when he said his teeth are missing and, you know, you could see the swelling, uh, on his face, but, um, you know, that's just the way things go sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. But uh, again, hard out to Dominic Cruz, bro. You just definitely deserve that extra two seconds to make it to the next round after this. Um, definitely staying on 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 this for a little bit because um, it, it's not that particular camp has had criticism uh, mm-hmm. for I believe the, the Thomas Gifford fight. Also, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that fight. That was uh, it was pretty bad. I don't know if you want to Google it, I think his name is Thomas Gifford or something like that. He was uh, he got. Again, shout out to the literal physical toughness, but it was a similar situation where he was on autopilot and the fight should have been stopped. And yeah. uh, what, what, what is, uh, I'm curious because right now we have a, a pay system of, uh, you know, show and win, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about doubling the purse to win, mm-hmm. that gives it, and, the, and these coaches and this gym gets a cut of every paycheck. You're talking about yeah. half the money. Yeah. Or twice the money. Yeah. Uh, is that is that something you really think is partially an incentive for these five these the, for a lot of the MMA corners specifically? Because in boxing we do see that they throw in the towel, even if the fighter's not necessarily getting rocked every second, but it's just feeling they have no chance of winning. Mm-hmm. But MMA is so different. We never see that. Trevor Whitman, I remember, is the last one I could think of who stopped the fight for Nate Marquardt. Yeah. But is that an issue? 
part of it? I, I think the reason why we see it more in boxing with the towel throwing is because it, it's really a one-dimensional. Like, boxing is its own masterful kind of, you know, I don't know, sport in its own. But, like, it's it's you don't have a bunch of other tools you can use against a superior boxer. You only have boxing. Um, with MMA, I can see how you know, maybe reserve the towel, don't throw it in because, okay, he may be getting outstruck, but maybe he shoots in, takes the guy down, and he can change the completely, you know, different, um, the, he could change the outline of the whole fight. Um, but boxing, sometimes it's just clear that a guy is so much better with the hands that you can be like, oh, there's no way he's going to overcome because there's only one way he can overcome, and that would be to out technique the guy who's kicking his ass and sometimes it's very apparent that it's not going to happen but with mma because there's so many different things that can happen you it's kind of like gambling it's kind of like oh maybe i can roll sevens or something like that submission could come or that head kick can come or that knee to the body like there's so many ways to win the fight that stopping a fight could kind of feel like you're cheating yourself I think if it was more apparent, um, like say like say maybe a corner would have an easier time throwing in a towel is if okay, my fighter's losing in the boxing, he's losing in the kickboxing, he's being out wrestled, out jujitsued and out everything, then I think maybe corners would probably have an easier time throwing in the towel, but because sometimes you get maybe one dimensional, two dimensional fighters that are really good at maybe boxing and wrestling or maybe they're really good kickboxers and have good wrestling defense they it, it there's just too much going on to know that your fighter can't come back in a way but um i don't know i i think that's um i i, I think that uh like a towel probably shouldn't be thrown in in the middle of the fight i think it should take place during the one minute break when the mm -hmm. when the fighter can go back to the corner and talk like i remember when um uh, the Anthony Pettis fight when he broke his hand and he was fighting Tony Ferguson. It was a very competitive fight, but you know his coach was like, "Look, man, if you can't throw that punch, you're not going to be able to like deal with this guy and hurt him back. So let's just call it off." And yeah, it kind of sucks that the fight got stopped because it was a great fight, but it was ultimately a decision that was made by both the fighter and the cornerman, opposed to maybe. Just like I remember the Raquel Pennington fight where she was begging her corners not to, not to go back out there. And then they that just sent her back out there. And mm. then um, uh, I, I know it's kind of happened uh, a couple times. But um, like I know there's been times where corners try to be like, hey, man, can you keep going? And the guy will be like, no, I can keep going. But I, I think that's um, throwing in the towel should probably happen during those breaks and not during an actual fight. So more if like it was my choice. So like more the ref has to deal with it during the round and in between rounds, that's where the responsibility falls on the corner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In between rounds. Well, I uh, that's really yeah, I I got no fault with any of those those comments. Um okay, let's actually talk about the fights then, because uh, uh Uncle Glover uh <laughs> Uncle Glover looked fantastic. Uh yeah. definitely show uh one one for the old man team. That's yeah, that's for sure. sure. Turned it back. Uh, what are, what are your thoughts on some of the other fights or on that fight? If you have some some specific thoughts on that, I would definitely want to hear them. Uh, well, what did you see? Go for it. Well, what I've noticed is a lot of fighters were fighting out of their weight classes because of this <laughs> pandemic. Because all these businesses are shut and making weight was a lot harder. Because uh, just not having access to um, uh, you know the gyms or or just like work, uh, facilities to cut the weight. So you know it, it was a little weird seeing everyone uh, a lot of people fighting out of their weight class. But like um, the OSP Ben Rothwell fight. Um, yeah, that OSP is a big boy, and I see oh like there God. is a difference in those weight classes. Of you know, there's a reason why those guys got to get to 205 because, like, that that small weight jump it makes a big difference. Um, one thing I would really like to see, and I know it may might be a little controversial, but um, I think that we need to start allowing kicks to grounded opponents or knees to ground, and like, I'm not biased. I'm not I'm a striker that's saying, oh, or a wrestler, like, like my background's not wrestling, like, 
oh, I want to soccer kick this jujitsu player. I'm a jujitsu player, and I want a guy to be able to kick me in the face, you know, if I'm on the ground. Because it was very apparent in that OSP fight when, when Ben Rothwell had him in that front choke against the cage, if he was allowed to throw knees to his head, that either OSP would have gotten knocked out from the knees or he would have had to defend the knees, take his um, his grips from defending the choke to defend the knees, and he could have got finished that way. Um, I, I, I think the, the only stipulation is just head stomps and maybe dropping a knee from a 12 to 6 position. But I would love for the UFC to, like... I, I think it would take care of stagnant positions and stalling completely from guys on bottom or top. Uh, like, say, like, from the bottom side control. If a guy is being held on his back and you can just, on your back, throw knees up to a guy's head, like, you can totally get out of that position. And the same thing for the guy on top. If the guy is just kind of trying to recover and hug on to you, you can throw knees to that position. Or if a guy is um, trying to pass your guard, you can just up kick him. Like I, I feel terrible for Anderson Silva when he kicked Yushin Okami the first fight, and like that wasn't hit, like a win for him because that was just beautiful. It's like no, no, you can't just sit up and stand and look to choose your shots. You have to commit, or you're gonna get kicked in the face. And uh, I, I would love to see him take that that uh the 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 pride rules to it because you know Mm -hmm. especially after what we saw in the main event i feel like nothing's nothing needs to be held back anymore after that you know it's like if we can get brutal like that we can get brutal with knees and kicks to grounded opponents already because that will take all like that that hand touching crap out the window there's no excuses for it no more there's no more oh we have to stop the fight and you know call this because of you know this guy was breaking a rule you know Mm -hmm. so um i i think that would help fights be less stagnant in um in my opinion um after the osp fight um what was it i i love the morales fight against benitez that was awesome those guys were going at it yeah benitez moved up yeah, Benitez yeah, up for and, that one too. And, and that I was surprised because I remember Benitez fought at forty-five, and Morales is a big fifty-fiver. You know, like he's not a he's not a small fifty-five, and and like that's another thing that I was talking about, like the pandemic. You know, definitely even Ray Borg, the the size yeah. difference between him and Ricky Simon, but oh man. Ray Borg got some hands, bro. What a goddamn like, fight, man. I was a... shocked that the power he was able to throw there. Like, Jesus. His speed and... was nuts. His speed. Like, Simone yeah. is a fast dude. Mm-hmm. And Borg was, like, just unbelievable. And I was a little annoyed. I'm like, when the, like, at the end of the fight where he just lands, like, a, what, like, six, eight punches in a row? Just yeah. completely outboxing Simone. And just like, where yeah. the fuck was that the whole fight? <laughs> Who are you yeah, for? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he had his moments, but, you know, Simone's, uh, you know, I don't really care for him too much. I think Marab beat his ass and made that it to was... the end of the bell. Even oh, yeah. with, you know, being paralyzed, that. you know, <laughs> he still made it to the bell. They put him through that. Like, that ref, I swear to God, those two refs, they, they like, imagine that. Imagine being one minute away from winning a fight, getting spiked on your head, and surviving having your head ripped off for a whole minute to the end of the round, and then they take that win from you after you went through hell like that. that that's got to be the most terrifying things to have no control over your arms because you have you, you, you have a stinger in your neck. And then they took that. And I can't, I really hope Simone takes the fight with Marab. Marab has been calling for that rematch for a long time. And um, I think he's scared. So I hope he hears that, Ricky Simone. If you don't want to fight Marab, I'll fight you. I'd love to, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to, if you're scared of Marab, uh, I'd love to, to fight that dude and bring it to him. Dude, I, when I interviewed him, like Marab is the nicest guy in the world yeah. outside the cage. And I was still scared of him. So yeah. I, I don't, I can't say anybody shouldn't be because <laughs> Rob <laughs> is terrifying in the most sweet and genuine way possible. Yeah. And I, yeah. it's, it's actually like uh, that, that, that uh, I was also thinking like um, when he was, when that fight ending, it's a TKO mm-hmm. loss. Yeah. Which I was like, okay, if you're going to say he lost, it's a technical submission. What the hell is the, yeah, yeah. it's just a weird. Even my fight, my fight was declared uh, 
what's it called? Um, uh, injury. It, right. it wasn't even considered a, a submission, which is silly. I think they, they, you know, I know he was the, you know, my opponent was the hometown guy. They, they were uh, really, you know, yeah. pushing for him to get in the UFC and everything. But like, they, you know, a little bit, they're not pushing me as much as I think they should for, you know, for that. Um, but, you know, that comes with it. You know, what, what can you do, you know? But, um, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, man, what can you do? We spoke with Victor Henry uh, yesterday. He's a, a Ryzen guy. He fights at oh, Ryzen. Okay. He's a bantamweight in Ryzen. Awesome dude. Hopefully you get to train with him because he trains. Uh, he trains with Barnett, Josh Barnett. Yeah, yeah. It's in uh, in Cali. Uh, and he was also saying he's like I. You know, I was brought into Ryzen to lose to the hometown guy, and yeah. he's telling us how it's like. I know they don't want an American to hold the title, and I completely understand it. But you know, I'm here to play spoiler. Yeah. Um, I want to actually talk to you about Drew Dober because he's actually a friend of the site. You know, he came on mm-hmm. one of the podcasts, super cool guy, EFT guy. We, you know, uh, he looks he he great. great. He yeah. looked great. And he's on a real nice win streak, too. Yeah. Um, what do you what, what do you think is uh, he's right now? He's got to be getting a ranking after being Hernandez. Uh-huh. Three straight knockouts. Uh, he was beating the shit out of Darius before the, the submission. Yeah. Where do you think you where do you see him where do you see him right now at lightweight? What do you what do you want? What do you I think? I love. Wait, Dober's welterweight. No, he dropped uh, down after uh, Camacho, after the the crazy fight with Camacho. He fought John Tuck, uh-huh. then Darius Polareas. Uh, he and now he's coming off. I think his last two fights before this oh, were like so yeah. He's for this because of the the wake the pandemic he fought at one seventy. No, that was a lightweight. That. No, he's now lightweight. He's officially a lightweight. He's just super thick. Oh snap! <laughs> he's he's thick huge as fuck. then. Oh yeah, he's like thick with three C's. Oh jeez, <laughs> okay. I thought that was a welterweight fight between Hernandez and uh, my... that fight itself might have been, but. He oh, is okay. fighting officially at lightweight. I don't know if that was a welterweight, oh, wow. though. Man, I'm so going to check. I, I'm actually going to check now because now I need to know. I, uh, I guess if he... Lightweight. Lightweight. He made it to lightweight. I don't know. Maybe... Because um, what is he on? A four-fight win streak now or yeah, something? Three-fight win streak. But before that, he <laughs> lost to Darius. But it was like a fight he was just winning and then got submitted. Yeah, he got caught. Um, I don't know. Maybe a fight with Dan Hooker. He brings Ooh. the power. He's super strong. He's a, a great kickboxer. Um, they'll stand up with each other, and uh, maybe maybe Dan Hooker would be a good fight for him. Um, a different guy at 155 that I could think of, because I know Dan Hooker's like more on the top end. He's he's trying hearing. to get a Poirier fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I thought that he, he was uh, fighting at 170 just because of what I saw last night. So I was thinking he was gonna fight maybe the guy. You you remember the guy who fought Camacho and he just knocked oh, him out yeah. so Jeff bad. Neal. Black guy? Jeff Neal. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Neal. Neal. Oh. What a what a what a monster. If those guys fight. fought, damn, that'd be a great fight. And they both have really good chins too, so you know they could take it too. And like. Yeah, yeah. Neil is a guy that I, we've we've been watching for a while. Like he yeah. is a super legit prospect, and he yeah. seems to just do everything right. I yeah, mean, I, I like Jeff Neil. I, I saw him fight because um, he fought when Aljo was fighting in Dallas, right. and I saw him. I saw him knock out Camacho live, and that was insane. That was really. It was right after Camacho also did his uh his warrior warrior yell. Yeah, yeah. So everyone was like, out, oh. though, you know. Yeah, and like, yeah, he went out. I know he got caught right after, but, like, that's the way to go. That's that oh, yeah. final, like, lion yell, you know? So you got to give him props for that. I do, because that's, you know what? Like, if you ask Camacho himself, he's like, that's the way I want to go out. After just getting, if I'm going out, put me out. And, yeah, yeah there's no, there's no way you can look at it. And, like, I love watching Camacho fight, you know? Yeah. You're always going to get something sure. fucking crazy. Also, mm-hmm. we got our Olofsky win, and that just makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah. always happy to see him win. The dudes, yeah. I just, I just want him to seeing him like not get knocked out is already a plus, but seeing him win, mm-hmm. I'm all in on that. No, he's he's one of the first guys, like you know, one of the first representatives of the sport, you know, and he's still doing it. You know, it's crazy. Somehow. I don't know how yeah. heavy heavyweight's weird, man. 
Yeah. Like, they got like nine lives. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. you guys got you got guys at the liar weight classes and 33, 34, they seem done, quote unquote. Yeah. And then you guys you got we're doomed at like 43. <laughs> I got lost yet yeah, 40, mm-hmm. 42. And first first they said it on the broadcast, first UFC fight 20 years ago. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh I mean, last one I want to talk about, I guess, is uh I'm curious what your thoughts are on Moises Johnson. Cause Man. Oh yeah, I I, I want like, that was hard to watch. Also, and it was a heel hook. <laughs> but oh no, I think it was it was a straight ankle lock. It was, sorry, that, sorry, I'm reading oh, yeah. it, but it was a yeah. straight ankle lock because I actually tweeted. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was a straight ankle. Why is yeah. it? And he went belly down, so I'm guessing yeah. that confused them. But like, I was like, that's definitely a straight ankle lock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, but... I felt uh, he looked great, um, yeah, Johnson, up until the beginning of the next round. I really felt for him. Cause um, you know, like like he had an opportunity to get out of there, but like you know, I I I I think that sometimes MMA guys they they don't look at like um leg locks as too much of a like they don't look at them like they're like devastating, you know, right. like like uh they they at least for the entries, like you have to have an understanding of how guys are going to enter into the positions or when they do get them you can't just turn away and run for it you, you know you got to you got to get control of their feet and just peel those hooks off of your hips or or just stuff their heels to their butt and really commit to going through them because as soon as you let go of their legs they have the opportunity to lock their figure four locks or reap the leg and then they get that foot position but he looked outstanding for that first round Johnson you know I gotta you know give it to my you know to the the BJJ guy you know like way to represent you know jiu-jitsu uh from a striker uh you know against a striker but um I fell for Johnson you know like I'm like dang man you you were really going in for that you know um yeah sometimes when you see those guys then when they shoot in uh that's actually kind of what i did to tyson griffin i had the single leg and then i just like he sat back and went into the position me i just threw my leg over into the position from the standing so um like I, i i know how that technique you can get yourself there from a single leg but yeah, you got to control those heels, man. You got to control those ankles. Don't let them start wrapping around your leg because that's what happens afterwards. Uh, I mean, after that, yeah, I was actually, I, I tweeted, I'm like, Johnson looks great. I, I, unless he, unless something crazy happens, he should take this. And then it's just like 25 seconds. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was like, well, good job, Ben. You did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go, the last question I have to ask you is, uh, what do you think of OSP's ass? Because uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why he couldn't fucking make two hundred five, right? Yeah, that shit was out there. I didn't was... want to bring it up, you know. No. I, I didn't. I didn't want to let everyone know I was looking, but for sure, yeah, man. That like... was, that's a dangerous ass. That's, yeah. that's... <laughs> for I'm sure, like, okay. man. Makes sense you, why you would think sense. that one of those head kicks landing with that on it would have put the guy out for sure, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, it, it was a good night of fights. Absolutely. And, um, you know, oh, like the Keller, you know, I'll give him a shout uh, out He's from Long Island. You know, the, the guy, he, he went up a weight class to fight yeah. a, a really good wrestler. And um, he came out on top with a beautiful hook. So congrats awesome. to to Keller, I, I got to message him because he did tell my someone who was talking to him like that I'm supposed to message him to talk to him also. So thank you because I almost forgot. Uh, James, this was awesome. I, I, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on. Um, before we go, I definitely want to make sure that you shout out any sponsors, any that you want to just give a shout out to, anything you want to plug, follow you on Twitter, Instagram, whatever you got. Please. Yeah, man. Um, uh, you can follow me at uh, Jitsu James on Instagram. Uh, that's like my main thing uh, that I, you know, contact everyone on. Um, uh, same thing for Twitter. If you want to, I'm not really on Twitter too much, but I get the notifications. 
Um, I want to give a huge shout out to my team, Law MMA, you know, Ray Longo, Matt Serra, all the guys over at Serra BJJ Academy, you know, like it, it's definitely a team sport. You can't really do this without having all, all the people surrounding you at the gym. So, you know, always got to give a shout out to my teammates and um, yeah, uh, shout out to my sponsor Phalanx, you know, they always deck me out for all my fights uh, with fresh gear. So huge shout out to them. And uh, yeah, I just hope everyone during this pandemic uh everyone's you know healthy um you know my dad he he was diagnosed with the coronavirus um but he just beat it uh and uh he he's okay now so um uh you know it's a good little weight off my shoulders so um just thoughts and prayers out to the people who who are dealing with this in the worst way and um just for the people who are not dealing with it count your blessings uh and good for you you know and um, yeah, just hoping everything gets uh, better than normal was, you know, get mm -hmm. get even make more progress than what we were at before. Let, let's do it. Well said. And with that, uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this is Ben Cohn with The Fight Site. Make sure you follow us on Twitter uh, and make sure you check out the website, thefightsite.com. Uh, check out the Patreon, see if there's anything that you like. Trust me, those tiers are worth paying for because you get access to the Discord all those, that extra content. Make sure you follow us on YouTube, like, and leave a comment. It really does help us subscribe and share with your friends. And on, uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple, and on Stitcher as well. Make sure you leave a five-star rating. Also helps us a lot. Uh, James, once again, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you. Uh, and until next time, this is Ben Cohen with The Fight Site.